social media now is ruining politics. Trump doesn't have a secret plan. He doesn't plan anything. I've right. always been fascinated about the undecided voter. For nothing that happened in that debate was Chris Wallace's fault. The JT and Looney podcast. Episode 51. That was a shit show. You know, it's great to be busy. It's great to be uh, really busy. Got up, got off at midnight, ran to do Gruden, just got back from Gruden. He was great, man. I can't wait to send you the link. And we knock out like seven minutes, which was fun. And I race home and we podcast and you have a Dodger shirt on. So let's record in three. Wait a minute, Mr. Three, two, one broadcaster. I already pushed the record button a couple of minutes ago. And I got to mention our sponsor before. We even start babbling about Joe Montana, the debates, and everything else going on in the world. Uh, we JT and Looney podcast is powered by Bet Online. Go to Bet Online AG. Football's back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the uh, the great action at Bet Online from game spreads and totals. Uh, to team player and coaching props. I love the props. Yeah, in Vegas, they're kind of limited with props, but it's unbelievable, JT, how many how many props they've got. Really cool props at Bet Online. It's insane, man. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online in the world. I don't know about the rest of the universe. We'll have to ask Neil deGrasse Tyson about that. But here on planet Earth, go to betonline.ag. 24-hour casino, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. BetOnline AG, take advantage of the great sign-up bonuses just for mentioning the JT and Looney podcast. BetOnline AG, sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now do your three, two, one thing. Two and one. Welcome to the JT and Looney podcast. Episode 51. Right. I, didn't, I didn't look up famous 51s today. 50 was great. We had 50 and we were all excited Mike about Singletary. that. Mike Singletary. We had fun because Mike Singletary, probably one of the most single most famous press conferences in the history of sports. His press conference. Randy Johnson was a 51. As my slow Google pops up. And Dick well, was a yeah, let's just leave it at Dick Butkus, who's another guy who lives in Malibu, who lives in Malibu. And we just found out last week the horrific story. You're a newsman that Joe Montana, friend of the show. You want me to name drop? I got great Montana stories. Next thing you know, someone's trying to kidnap Joe's grandchild in Malibu. Tell everybody what you saw oh. on the news about that. This is incredible. What I saw on the news, this is what's really the, the, the dark side of news, which is really strange, because that story broke while I was on the air anchoring the news at KABC. So that's one of those strange things where you think to yourself, first thing you think is, oh, that's awful. And then a millisecond later, you think, oh, my God, that's my lead story for the rest of the day. KABC, Los Angeles, Orange County, and KLOS HD2, Los Angeles. Talk Radio 790, KABC News at 103. I am Tom Looney. Football legend Joe Montana had a female intruder break into his Malibu home last night and try to kidnap his granddaughter. Joe is used to being the hero. He rescued his granddaughter, took her away from the kidnapper, and then the sheriff's department, who was right down the street at the time, fortunately took the kidnapper to jail. <laughs> it's, just, it's so strange. It's almost like on Seinfeld when they... When uh, remember when Kramer got accused of being a serial killer, but while he was in custody, the serial killer killed again. So they danced out of the jail. He killed again, killed again. <laughs> Is that meant Kramer was going free? And yeah, I got very excited about that because 
you know, you, you don't even need an adjective. One thing I realized while writing the story, Joe Montana doesn't, you don't need football legend, whatever, which I think I eventually put as his adjectives, but um, he doesn't need one. There are some people that transcend uh, sports and they become so famous and it's such a great name, Joe Montana. He was destined to be famous, right? That they don't even need an adjective, and he's one of them. And what's he doing living in Malibu? That's what's great, because <laughs> his house in the Bay Area, which I've seen, I've driven by, is enormous. Joe's always in Vegas. Joe is one of the most popular people in Vegas. And I don't think Joe would care, nor I hope he downloads our podcast and hears this. Joe does a lot of signings, does a lot of memorabilia, and... I got a lot of pieces from Joe Montana because I emceed a couple of his golf tournaments, and we really hit it off. And recently, within the last year, after Mark Davis bought the Raiders building the stadium, my wife and I were at Caesars Palace, and we went to see a rock performance at this famous lounge called Cleopatra's Barge. Uh It's world famous. It's a boat in the middle of Caesars, and it opens up into this lounge that is a lounge act, which is one of the most famous places ever in Vegas to perform in a lounge. Now that the Dunes and the Sahara and all the Sinatra Rat Pack ones blew up, and they built new casinos. So long story short, we're waiting online to go in to see Frankie Marino, who's a great rock singer in town, and he was playing with Frankie Sidoris, and who's a great rock guitar player who plays with Slash. We were invited. Great table up front. And me and my wife were waiting online, and all of a sudden we look up, and Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, comes by, and he sees my wife, loves my wife a lot more than me. And he <laughs> talks to my wife, and I'm, they're talking, and I say, hey, Mark, what's going on? He goes, yeah, we just had dinner at Nobu with Joe Montana. And I go, Really? He goes, yeah, he's still there. Go say hi. And I looked at my wife, and I said, we got to say hi to Joe. And she's like, really? You want to go in there and interrupt him? And I said, yeah, I I know Joe enough to say hello. So we go into Nobu, and Joe's at the bar with his handler, and I think a guy looked like a security guard and a couple of his friends, and he's holding court at the bar. And he sees me, and I don't know if he recognizes me well, and I see him, and I walk over. He gets up off his bar stool and says, JT, gives me a hug pre-COVID. Wow. I go, Joe, you've never met my wife. Please meet my wife. He had my wife sit in the chair. He talked to my wife for 10 minutes uninterrupted. How are your kids? How old they are? Bum, bum, bum. And I'm walking out of the restaurant with my wife. I go, you think that was a good idea? She was walking on. <laughs> and I said, yeah. I go, I, I go, I wouldn't interrupt the guy. And that was the last time I saw Joe last time and i heard about his grandchild and what happened here awesome. i was concerned for him because you were on the new you were on the news that day and that's a scary scenario well it's could you i don't oh. know actually now that i think about it when i lived in venice i did wake up in the middle of the night and there was a guy in my living room who, who crawled through a uh, stepped on top of a dumpster and crawled into my apartment and then he just exited the front door once i once he realized there was someone in there i think he thought it was an empty apartment and that's as close as i've ever it's the only time i think i've ever had a stranger in my house so that's number one you got a stranger in your house number two you're really rich and famous so that's always kind of a nightmare scenario to walk into a room and see a stranger and then the stranger is holding your granddaughter and at least you know one thing that uh that the glass is half full portion of the story is it was a hero that caught a stranger with his granddaughter, uh, a guy who's always a hero at the end of the story and Joe Montana and a football player, uh, even quarterbacks.
uh, our tough guys, right? Because we because that's a brutal game. So uh, she. But she don't put his address out on the news. Oh my God, that was strange. Channel Four, KNBC, what, what Los the hell Angeles. Is this? All of a sudden, they said, and I'm just making up the number, but they said something. We're in the twenty-one thousand block of Pacific Coast Highway. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, that's only a block from twenty-one to twenty-two. You can narrow down where Joe lives. I was really surprised about that. You have, live. You live in in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised more people don't know where people live? Because it used to be the map of the stars. I did that. That was a rite of passage when you move. You yeah, buy the map. Me too. You go yeah. That's Lucille Ball's old house. That's this. Right. What's it like where you live when you got the looky loos driving around and trying to find where people live? Well, it's not that hard. Uh, my friend Tim Conway Jr. is a talk show host in Los Angeles. That's- and he, when he – he's owned one house because he hemorrhaged money most of his life. And his people think rich guys' children just hand them money. His dad didn't. He, he, he had an IRS bill forever and, and gambled a lot. Uh, and so – but eventually he became a successful talk show host. And he bought a house. And he's, he, he has a really ridiculous sense of humor, son of a comedian. And he said, this is the Internet age. And he had a contest. He had to give away something on the radio. And uh, we worked at the same station, 97.1, the FM talk station. It was a bunch of it – was, it, was, it was a really fun young station. We had Cato, Kalen, and Cindy Brady. So it was obviously a, quite the Algonquin roundtable <laughs> that we had hosting talk shows. It was for younger people. We had a great time. And I did overnights. And he said, okay, the first – whatever we were giving away – he said, the first person who can call in with my address will win. Really? And, yeah, he said it took about three minutes, five minutes before someone Googled and found out where his new house was in Burbank. Yeah. So that's 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 how life has changed for the rich and famous because you could buy those maps by someone sitting. You had to do it, right? It was usually somebody sitting with an umbrella on a corner. Yeah, with Tatum O'Neill and Bad News Bears sitting out there. <laughs> Right. And Bad had, news fair is selling maps. That's the yeah. first time as a little kid I saw that and I remember that. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and you get it really it was a map that had a lot of old addresses or Rock Hudson's house and people we were kind of barely familiar with. Uh and a lot hey, of times don't knock, don't knock Rock Hudson's house. That was a party. Oh that oh, oh you got hey. damn right. It yeah, was. yeah, he had a party. <laughs> hey, you mentioned something quickly, we're all over the place, which I like on a it's podcast. Right. You mentioned overnights, and I have an announcement to make. I am wrapping up, I hope, my overnight career. And I've always been proud of working late nights. Oh, my Our God, yeah. And Big Ben Maller does overnights. We know a lot of people. Well, the terrific thing about doing overnights and late night radio is you have people spend a lot more time listening because they're a security guard at a bank. They, it's, much, it's an intimate relationship. Yeah. So when I broke into radio, before I bought some time and I started – on KMAX in L.A., when I got hired by Sports Fan Radio Network, my birth date in radio, even though I did a little tiny bit of radio before, I got syndicated on Memorial Day. 1996 was the first show I ever did. You've always worked on Memorial Day for that reason. I always worked for that reason. So my first ever shift in Vegas was midnight to 5 a.m. Now think about that. Oh, yeah, Larry King hours. Wow. That's Pacific time. So that was 3 a.m., Eastern. Okay. And normally that was to five or six in the morning before I got cut off. Right. You know, because morning drives on. So my big break in my career was when I started on radio 
I was on overnights, and the first show I ever did, I was on KNBR in San Francisco, The Ticket in Dallas, WEEI in Boston, all of these legendary stations, plus the Clear Channel stations. Right. So I get on the radio, and I'm doing overnights. Fast forward to tonight, October 1st, 2020. My ship for Mad Dog Sports Radio is 8 p.m. to midnight Pacific time, which is mm-hmm. 11 p. to 3 a.m. I'm moving up. My slot now starting Monday is 7 to 10 p.m. Pacific time. Oh, nice. No matter where you are, that's not pure overnight. I am making this announcement to you. I never say the word never. I am retiring from late, late, late night radio. I've been walking in this bleeping house every night at midnight, trying to get to bed by 1.30. Up at 7.30 as my kid and dog barks. I'm done. If they come to me and say, we're going to give you a new three-year deal and a private jet, and you can come. No, I'm done. I wish the next guy well. So I wanted to announce that to you on the JT. That's great. Oh, that, that is great. It was, it's always, you know, because things break at night, the games, uh, it's the high wire act at night. Some people don't like late night radio because it affects the, the show that they prepped for and they have to throw out everything they prepped for because Kobe hits a game winning shot or LeBron hits a game winning shot or there's a big upset and the, and the Denver Nuggets upset the Clippers and you have to switch to that story, which you and I always love that high wire act of things happening when you're on the air or there's things of a of a really dark nature like we had the tsunami in japan we had to drop the whole show and tell people what we were seeing on television and that was i think the night that we oh hi <laughs> the, the joy of podcasting <laughs> the um the 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 i think i picked up more twitter followers on the night that there was a tsunami than any night ever. And it goes to show you, you know, you, you, you write out bits and you write out uh, segments and you try to cover the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. But when, when people really tune in and connect with you, it's when human things happen. And you and I were devastated at what we were watching on television as, as waves crashed into farmhouses. It was so ugly and awful and uh, catastrophic to watch, apocalyptic. And, uh, and, you know, it's nights like that where you really connect with your audience who is sitting, who maybe can't see a television because they're working overnight in a donut shop or a security guard at a bank. And, and, and it's one of those things where, and you and I are night people too, you know. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't gone to bed before 2 in the morning since 12 or 13. So you and I, you know, we're social animals. And so... Being on at night, at least you're still on at night, too, because you got games in, yeah. drama happening, and you still got a high wire act going well, on. Well, as we record this podcast, and you know, I got something I want to announce, too, or say, a, a good example is last night, the Yankees had one of the most, you know how diehard of a Yankee fan I yep, am. Yep, yep. I, I said this year, it's all asterisks. So no matter what happens, right. Yankees, whoever, it doesn't count to me. It's a, it's a fat I asterisk. saw your angry thumbs on Twitter getting nervous about yeah, the Yankees. So, the Yankees end up playing, and they play this dramatic game where everything happened. I mean, I go back 2004, the collapse mm-hmm. against the Red Sox, the, the 70s yeah. with Thurman Munson. I'm sitting in the studio watching this game. Yankees are 
hit a grand slam. They're down 4 nothing. They're up a 4-1. They're up 5-4. They got an 8-6 lead. A guy batting 185 hits a double to tie it for Cleveland. Cleveland takes the lead in the bottom of the eighth. It's over. The Yankees get two miracle runs in the top of the ninth to win the game. There's two outs. Nobody on. Chapman throws strike three. The catcher, Sanchez, misses strike three. It goes all the way to the backstop. And then the tying run comes to the plate, and I'm going, this is crazy, and I'm doing the play-by-play live. So I wanted to share this story because you're such a radio geek. So the first time ever in my career something happened 24 years last night. I'm doing the show. I interview our buddy Chris Myers, NFL on Fox. Okay. It's 9 – the interview was at 9 p.m. Pacific. It's 9-18, 9-19. We're wrapping it up with Chris. I say, Chris, thanks for joining us. What are you doing on Instagram? Well, I'm on the gram, and I do this and that, my hair, you know, Chris Myers. And then he drops. He's gone. And I say, well, well, you know, his phone dropped. That happens all the time. Right. So I keep talking, and I go to break. And my producer, who I'm seeing on Zoom, is going crazy, waving his hands. He goes, we're off the – I go, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. Something's up. We had one caller on hold. The caller, so I come out of the next break. I talk for 10 minutes. I go to the caller, and the caller goes, oh, JT, I've been on the air for 20 minutes. <laughs> I go, oh, I go, oh, wow. I go, what? He goes, yeah, you're off the air. They, something happened. It's just static. There's nothing there. So I couldn't wait to share this with you. I, being a radio guy, don't panic. I start doing the play-by-play of the Yankee game when I should have just said, we'll be right back. But right. I didn't have commercials to throw to because we were off the air. Right. So I thought that I might still be on the air and people could hear my voice. So I'm texting my wife, go to Mad Dog, are we on the air? And she's texting me back, uh, no, I can't hear anything. So long story short, I spoke for 40 minutes by myself, no callers, no guests, no breaks. And all I had to do was say nothing because no one heard, but I was scared to say we'll be right back <laughs> my voice went out and i felt like i did six hours of radio wow. in 40 minutes it was wild Tom. wow wow that happened once to me not to turn your story to make it into me but it's fun you know since radio stories are great the things that happen one time our computer went down at fox sports radio when i was doing the sunday nfl show with ben maller and uh where we used to cover all the games it was a, a six-hour show it was tough enough to do, but the the system broke, so they couldn't go to break. So it was commercial-free radio, and for about 40 minutes, just like what you were doing, where at least there was two of us, right? So we got to talk for 40 minutes and do a marathon while they fixed the computer, and all the stations could get was us rather than static. And it is one of those situations where that's part of the fun of the high wire act of radio is when the unexpected happens and that's when you know that's what i think that's the fun part some people that's when they panic and you and i get excited about those things and what was interesting is i was brought up in radio that you never talk with an open mic right you don't you don't talk to the producer so even if you're recording a spot, you don't curse when you screw up, Justin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. even if you're record- recording a commercial in queue. Yeah. So at some point, we were trying to get back on the air about five minutes too, and they were playing an old show. So again, the default mechanism for all radio stations is they go and they play something from the night before. Right. And I hit the button in queue, and I told my producer Alex, "I don't want to talk because we might be on the air." 
That's all I said. Right. I come home. I walk into my bedroom. My son, my 17-year-old's laughing. He goes, oh, I love when you said you didn't want to talk because you didn't think you were on the air, Dad. Oh. <laughs> and so he was like a little radio geek, too. He, that's the only thing he remembered from wow. the show, which wow. is a great lesson to all young broadcasters. Tom Brenneman uh, just got fired right. from Fox Sports Ohio because – he said a homophobic slur on the air. He did not think he was on the air. This guy is the gold standard. Been right. With Fox since 94. His father's a legend. He's terrific. Oh. Yeah, and right. you never know. And the, the problem is also, you know, and, and also the locker room talk, but never into a live mic. Because sometimes if you, when you work with a group of guys, and someone might be Latino and some of everyone knows this. Someone might be black. Someone might be gay. And you've got and you've got and you've been and Irish or Italian. And, so, and, and you've been working together for years. Sometimes you bust on each other for the things you cannot change like a family does in your family. You know, I can joke my mother about her weight. You can't. You know, that's the way it works. And the same thing at work in a locker room environment of a sports talk radio uh, uh, station. So. I understand, uh, or in Tom's case, where based on the you know based on what's going on in society and the zero tolerance and everything, why that uh, you know, he's not working anymore. But you, you have no idea really where his soul is. And my guess is he was just being outrageous to people he worked with, and some of them might even have been gay. He might have been just having a good time, but you can't explain your way out of those things. You can't. You can't say some of my best friends are fill in the blank and get your job yeah. back. You just and to get that- everybody up. To, yeah, you're right. To get everybody up to speed in the podcast. Here's what Tom Brenneman said during a live game where he called a home run. He called a home run while he was getting banished and his career was coming to an end. So he knew he said this. They told him in the truck. He knew in his mind he was getting fired instantly his career would be ruined and listen to this pro call a home run while he's saying goodbye i will apologize i pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith as there's a drive in a deep left field by castellanos it will be a home run and so that'll make it a four nothing ball game i don't know if i'm gonna be putting on this headset again i don't know if it's gonna be for the reds i don't know if it's gonna be for my bosses at fox i will apologize Wow, Howard Stern did a bit on this. It was incredible. I listened to Howard. Howard did a bit with the megaphone, and he was making fun of Brenneman being, you know, when he's getting fired, he's, he knows, and he's on his radio voice. Oh, right, you know, he's got his radio voice, and, <laughs> and he, Howard did this bit of him doing it, and they were pulling him out of the booth in a white jacket. And he, <laughs> and he said, no, if my career is going to be over. I don't want handcuffs. I want to be in a white jacket. I want to be known as crazy. And it was, you had to hear it, but it was, it was sad that Tom Brenneman's, I hope his career didn't end. I hope that he is forgiven. He has apologized profusely, and I hope he gets an opportunity. To yeah, and what you're referring to there is, you know, and people, you know, people apologies never work because people always say it's never good enough. I go back. I, I think the first time I really remember this happening is when they really wanted Clinton to apologize to the nation for putting us through the Monica Lewinsky debacle. So he did. And then people said it wasn't good enough. <laughs> and so I just remember then he did it a second time. At a pra- you got to do it a second time at a prayer breakfast with, with, with ministers. And then he did it a second time and it wasn't good enough. And so and ever since then, I've observed that no matter what it is, liberal, conservative, sports, whatever it is, 
when people apologize, it's never good enough. And during the middle of his apology, someone did hit a home run. So he called the home run in the middle of his apology. So some people were upset that his apology was interrupted by a home run. But you can also can't ignore the home run. It was a shit show. To quote Dana Bash of CNN. Which I'm just going to say it like it is. That was a shit show. Article somewhere I read today on you know, Dana Bash or Dana Bash and about you know her, her, her career and what she's done and White House and covering political campaigns and married to John King. Yes. They somehow conveniently left out that between her first husband and her second husband, John King, she dated Rush Limbaugh. They somehow conveniently left that out of the article or they didn't know it, but I did. So there's a, a fun fact for you. It's interesting because when he when she's on with John King sometimes right. on CNN, sometimes they're just on together. And I say, how could those two be in the same studio together? Right. You know, they're divorced and they're doing a segment. We'll stay with this because I watched I wa- I try right. to avoid politics. I really do. For years, we were on the radio 14 years. People know I am I lean. I lean a bit to the right. You uh-huh. lean. A bit to the left. People have called this out. No one has any idea. Right. Will they? Or, no, no, both of our politics are also very Catholic. So we have a lot of similar politics and philosophies no. about that. And no that. one's ever known who I voted for, nor right. anyone will. I was so disgusted. I was so disgusted by the debate because I wanted to listen. I already know where I'm going mm-hmm. with the candidates, I believe. But I wanted a really good debate. I knew there was going to be some chaos. But my biggest takeaway was a broadcasting takeaway. I hope that Chris Wallace, this isn't in his obituary. This doesn't get into his Wikipedia. He has thousands of hours on air. Thousands. His dad was one of the greatest broadcasters and journalists of all time. Are we going to remember Chris Wallace? And what could he have done? He could have walked out. He could have stood up. He could have threatened him. He could have went to commercial. You can't threaten them. <laughs> well, I think he Secret got to the services point, there. Yeah, I think he got to the point where <clears throat> he was about to burst. So I don't want to give him a bad grade, Tom, but, but I can't give him a good grade because it was a circus. Oh, I know. And, and as broadcasters, better be real careful because we're just talking about curveballs and things that happen. And I told you one of the best analogies I heard was Joe Scarborough. Morning Joe on MSNBC, former conservative Republican congressman from Pensacola. He's now an independent journalist, so he's pissing off both sides. Because when you try to be independent, the liberals don't trust you because you used to be a Republican, and the Republicans don't trust you because you're telling the truth about other Republicans. So uh, that's that's a reason to trust him. And I love and and plus he lived in Elmira for a while, so we got that connection. And. He said that it's like trying to judge a professional tennis match. And if you ever go to like the U.S. Open and you're thinking, oh, well, that was an easy backhand. How did how did he or she miss that? But then you sit down close and you realize the ball's going 110 miles an hour. And Chris Wallace did not know that, you know, he you can't judge that until you're in the middle of it. And I don't think uh, who could have who could have reeled that in uh, can you name somebody and no well hulk hogan <laughs> who could have done it uh it was uh so i really don't like to blame him for for the bad behavior of the candidates they're blaming the wrong person uh you know blame the bad behavior on the people who behave badly 
and not uh, not others. It's it's a it's a deflection. It's a displacement of comfort. Nothing that happened in that debate was Chris Wallace's fault. I think nothing that happened in that debate should change anybody's opinion of where they're voting, and that's always a big topic. Yeah, and you're right. I think you know you hear suburban housewives, and I have I'm married to a suburban right. housewife, and I don't I don't want to say that my wife would have been altered at all by that shit show. That was a shit show. And would have said, you know, after that, you know, 90 minutes, I'm ch- I completely changed my mind. I've right. always been fascinated about the undecided voter. Because the undecided voter, <laughs> here's, what the, here, here's what the undecided voter is. It's, it's almost where I'm going in my life, where I vote typically for a party, uh-huh. but I don't like a candidate at all in right. my party. Matter of fact, I might despise a candidate in my party, but I don't want to send a message to my sons that I'm going to sit out an election and not vote. Right. So an undecided voter is something like I might be 5, 10, 20 years from right. now where I'm disgusted with my party, I'm disgusted with the candidate, and then I see someone who's more centric down the middle and can kind of bring people together, and I go, you know, I'm not going to make a habit of this, but I'm going to vote for that woman or man because – I'm okay with it, and right. I'm leaning in that direction more and more. Well, here's the thing that really affects me and makes me uptight is all my life, you know, I'm a people person, so I've always been more fascinated with the personalities of politics than than even the issues. And, and we had a Professor Johnson my, in political science, and my college roommate and I were, you know, were the two most zealous students, so... He gave us an assignment. My my roommate Saul Rothenberg was to write a thirty page paper on Joe Biden, and I was to write a thirty page paper on Gary Hart, because my professor said those are the stars of the future. So uh, and so, but while we were doing this as roommates, I ended up liking Biden more than Hart because Hart was a really wonky guy that was all about the future. He was brilliant. But I was more into personalities than the politics, and my roommate was more into the politics than the personality. So we both ended up liking each other's uh, homework better. And so I know everything there is to know about Joe Biden. So it's been fun watching him come along because I had a professor that predicted uh, that future. And but no matter what, you know, I when I take a look at the the candidates I have not voted for, I loved Bob Dole. I didn't vote for Bob Dole. I loved Bob Dole. George Herbert Walker Bush was so I thought he was such a decent man. I did not vote for him. God, I loved him. So I'm a people lover. Uh, John McCain, who didn't like uh, John McCain's likability never changed when he was a politician. John McCain was so likable and I did not vote for him. I loved Mitt Romney, did not vote for him. But so what what Trump has done, what bothers me is I like liking people and I like loving people. And I, I'm just worried that it's a bad guy. And I just hope that I'm wrong. But I never say that people are evil because then, then it's a you know, that's a comment on our own culture. It's not the these are people's mothers and fathers and sons and daughters that run for office. It takes balls and ovaries to run for office. And they're never evil. They're our fellow citizens. And if they're they're evil, then we are. I've always said this and I say this to my kids. I've never woken up a day in my life, day of my life now in my 50s, one day 
where I ever gave a crap who the president was. <laughs> I never I never got motivated to do a double radio shift to do more, to do anything because of the president, nor a senator, nor a congressperson, a city councilman. So you and I always up, agreed on that as well, yeah. that uh, that if our guy didn't win, oh, fine. You know, I remember I had a friend of our, a mutual friend of ours who was who saw some documentary making making Obama a boogeyman. And he was so obsessed and worried that Obama was a secret this and a, a secret Muslim. And he, he's against him. And I said, you know how I feel? I said, I, I said, I'm voting for Obama and we're friends. I said, if Mitt Romney wins, I'll wake up the next day and say, oh, he seems nice. Nice guy, nice wife, nice boys. So I've never been that uh, that guy like like I never I never hated the other side like I might with wh- whoever's playing the Lakers. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, I'm with a people lover. What's changed with politics the most? And, you know, I'm a big fan of Facebook. Wink, right. wink. Uh, I believe I believe that social media now is ruining politics, yeah. not only from the po- politicians and the campaigns and the despicable some the percentage of despicable people mm-hmm. that are on social media that really tweet directly at the president. They have seven followers right. and they tweet at the president or they tweet at the vice president who's the candidate here. But I'll tell you this, when I, I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think the election is going to end on time. We're not going to have it. This is the oh, first God. time in our life, even though we had the hanging Chad with Gore and Bush. This is one time we can guarantee at midnight, three in the morning, six in the morning, the following day. We're not going to have a winner because it's going to be chaos. And I hope I'm wrong. And then when we do have a winner, whoever it is, I just want to go on Facebook and just put up an easy post and say, whoever was wrong. And guessed wrong on this election. I'm going to mute you. I'm, I'm probably going to drop you, but I'm going to tell you nicely that I'm muting you because I can't believe the amount of good people that are weighed down every day going on social media to rip politics. It drives, I, 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 it drives me crazy, too. A friend of mine on Instagram, I have, almost have nobody that I follow on Instagram and unfortunately, Facebook that that posts anything political because I've been far more conservative than you at who follows me and whom I follow on those on those platforms. Almost nobody does politics. And I have one guy who's very minority, very sensitive about different things, uh, Latino from East L.A. And he he's constantly talking about Trump. And I said, you know, you're promoting him as much as you're doing anything. I said, he's got hotels. He's got ties. <laughs> I said, do you realize every time, because he's the only one in my feed ever saying anything, every time you are actually promoting him. He never thought of it that way. But a lot of our politics has also turned into very much mirrors professional wrestling, which you and I never followed very much, but I'm sure you, where you, you, you can't just debate the issues like you and I did over the years when we disagreed, whether it was sports or politics, and then laugh it off. No, you've got to pummel your opponent into submission. Oh, he put him in his place. And, and no, you don't want to put people in their place, whatever that means. We can discuss the issues about big budgets and small budgets and civil rights and and whatever without uh, lighting each other on fire. If I'm Biden, I don't I don't agree to the next. I don't. If I'm Biden, I don't go to the next debate. I don't. And if I'm Trump. He's got to get out on the stump. He's got to get out there and do what he does best and just campaign because right. I think it was such a shit show. 
that the American people, some will tune in for the second train wreck. There's always, when there's a dumpster fire, right. just go four blocks and make another right and a left. There's another dumpster fire out there in the distance. So for some people who want to see the second dumpster fire, because the next debate is going to be in a format where there's going to be voters there. Right. And it's a format where they address the candidates, and then the candidate gets up from the chair and walks up to the voter and tries to make contact. Right. Neither one of these guys can do that. Neither one of these well, guys. That's not well, wait song. a minute. Joe used to ride the train home from Delaware. Yeah. Joe, Joe loved being a retail politician and sitting on the train and talking to people about uh, that. So I, that's what I think. That's why I think Biden won't jump out. Jump out because. Trump was a rich guy who who it's it's amazing the people who vote for him he would never hang out with and in the, in that format he's got to hang out uh with people and with Biden you now he rode the train so i think that the format would be an advantage for Biden which is why he's not going to back out but if I would be surprised if there's a second debate after that first one. Leave people, leave America alone. <laughs> yeah. the, the one thing that's driving me crazy, my friends, probably my family listening to the podcast, I'm pretty good at analyzing games when they end. I don't yep. need a teleprompter. I don't need a producer in my ear. When a baseball game ends or a basketball game and it's live, we were pretty good at this. We would right. have analysis about waking up. For the USA Today. That was always your line. We didn't have to wake up in the morning and have to read about what happened in the game. We have to frame it. Right. Here's what happened. Trump didn't win. I don't think he lost badly. But the key to that debate is Biden was fine. He didn't get steamrolled. He didn't right. look like Sleepy Joe. He did fine. And if you think Trump did great and he got the points in and he did certain things, fine. I'm not here to change your mind. But every but the people that I know that thought that Biden was going to be steamrolled, early dementia, he can't figure it out. Trump's going to own his ass. Absolute. It was a bad night for Trump on many levels. Well, yeah, and I knew that that I always knew that that narrative would be a benefit to Joe for people who didn't know him. His whole all of his life. Now that he got older, he's slower. Because people move slower in their 70s. And maybe speak a little slower, but his – one of his talents his entire life has been speaking. So there was – there's never been uh, – a, a, the great, great uh, tactic that Republicans have always had, and it's – and not that Democrats don't do it either, and that is take someone's strength and make it a weakness – Biden's a great speaker. Put it out there that he's not. And it's a it, and it's and it is brilliant. You know, they, they try to do it with Obama. I can't. He can't. He's, he's really not that great unless he's on a teleprompter. You know, he was the president of the Harvard Law Review. <laughs> he can talk whether or not there's a fucking teleprompter. But that narrative work is about there is just oh, the president was an illegal immigrant. There is 30 percent of people who a lot of times you know, it's, a, it's an incredibly large number that will just believe you if you immediately just say something what politics are not and that's um and, and so in politics sometimes that works just uh, just uh, just a, 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 an opposite narrative all trump had to do all he had to do was wait till the allotted time let biden speak let biden finish his thought and i believe trump would have slaughtered him so that 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 you want to have some debate analysis, right? By Trump, all Trump had to do because Trump had everything going for him, 
in that format with his style, his energy, what he's strong at, what he's going to tell you about himself, and the fact that he was going to try to just maul Biden if he just waited to the end of what Biden said and just looked into the camera and turned into the camera and stared at it and then went from not his notes, just his mind, that would have been not a knockout. It would have been a Floyd Mayweather unanimous decision. I think he would have finished him off. I think he would have won the debate and changed everything. But he was so bombastic, so ridiculous. He interrupted Chris Wallace so many times that it just deteriorated. I knew that the liberal news media, which I believe in, was going to sit there and just make it the funeral of Trump. David Axelrod said that night, because I I DVR'd Fox Uh and CNN, not MSNBC, and David Axelrod said something. He goes, the election was lost tonight. He goes, Trump lost the election. And I said, well, that's a bit extreme. But no, it wasn't a bit extreme. That was his opinion. And he worked with Obama and watched Obama get get elected and reelected. So his opinion does matter, just like Laura Ingram and people on the other side who had to go on TV and say it was a great night for the president. It was a shit show for both. Just took the words out of my mouth. Um, That was a shit show. But Trump was far worse. I thought his performance was terrible. And I still think he can win the election. I still believe in the silent majority. I still believe there's a lot of votes and uh, that aren't accounted for that he's going to get people to show up who aren't saying a word to anybody who calls and says, hey, I'd like to poll you. But it's going to be really tight, and we're not going to know on Election Day. Yeah, and I have a feeling that these things aren't predictable. And I think we are going to know the day after because yeah, – yeah, because I think that there's – I. I I think when it comes to the polling, the people, the polling four years ago wasn't all that wrong. It was all within the margin of error and it had Hillary on top, but within the margin of error in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and Michigan. But it was within the margin of three to four percent. And and Trump won, I think, won Wisconsin by 10,000 votes. So he's not getting those back. I I actually firmly believe the polling is and, and not only do I think that Biden will win the states that he, you know, those traditionally blue states of Wisconsin, Michigan loves Michigan, and Trump took on the governor of Michigan. Much like Texas, as you know, Michigan loves Michigan. So I think that they're going to stick up for their governor. I think that Biden will probably win back those blue states, and he might add, you know, some states are becoming purple, uh, like Arizona. And uh, the Texas, when the Texas polling is close every time, that spells trouble in other close states, I think, more than anything. So I think we'll know. Because uh, remember how you and I prepared after the debacle of 2000. You and I were, didn't work then, but we were on the air for 2004, 2008. And we had big meetings about how we were going to handle election night while covering sports. And every time the election was over, we'd start the show at 7 p.m. And it was called at eight o'clock. So you can't predict. No one predicted what would happen in 2000. No one predicted in 2016 about, you know, the 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 electoral college versus the popular vote. And remember, I just I just think that here's another thing, too. Trump doesn't have some secret plan. This is an important point made up uh, made by somebody uh, last night a couple nights ago trump doesn't have a secret plan because as you know he doesn't plan (laughs) there's no secret plan well i'll I'll push back on that i guarantee you 
guarantee you there'll be an October surprise. Oh, and here's another thing I might – well, here's another thing too. Here's one thing we do know. I remember when you and I were on the air and I, TMZ said he had 745 open lawsuits or something. So uh, he wouldn't have time to run for president. That was their prediction, like in 2014 or 2015. And so he's one of those guys that loves to go to court. So I wouldn't be surprised if he tries, but I don't know if if he loses by too many states, then it's not going to work. Finally, on a somber note, wish we didn't have to do this as I podcast with you and Looney from Vegas. Today is the anniversary of 1 October the deadliest shooting in the history of America, where in total, after a few people even died later from the shooting in 2019, a total of 61 people died from the shooting uh, from Mandalay Bay into the concert, country concert. Um, We on 9-11, on 9-11, I do no social media and I reflect, and I'm reflecting today. You live in that city. I live in Vegas. Uh, today is a day that we'll never forget. One October, the hockey team launched immediately following that. It was one of the most emotional nights of my life to see them. They raised a banner after that months later for those who died with all their names in the ice arena. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen from a press box. So I just wanted to reflect and say to everybody who's listening, don't ever forget 1 October. They don't say October 1st, 2017. Here in Vegas, they just say 1 October. And praying for all the people that were lost and a lot of people who were still injured mentally and physically from that dark day. I wanted to end right there. I want to add to this. It'll edit it out. Yeah, Mark Germain's wife was there. Yeah. And oh. she, oh, oh yeah, they. she said post. Big deal here. Yeah, she had post-traumatic stress from that ever since. I I got a buddy of mine in my neighborhood, same thing. He's still, he won't go out, won't go down to the strip. I'm running real late. I got to run. Oh, yeah. When this is posted. Great podcast. This is one of the best. It was. I I don't think it needs any any editing. You might want to put that Tom Brenneman bite in there. I I paused for that. Right. We had the the home run. Yeah, it's it's on. It's everywhere. You can find it everywhere. Yeah, that's true. I can just record it off the internet. You're right. That's it. All right. Yeah. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.